Would you like to join the conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 61 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Pete Hodgson. Good morning from sunny San Francisco. James Uber. Hello from sunny Minneapolis. Alondo Burrington. Hello from North Carolina. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Tony Ingraldi. Hello from Yorktown, Virginia. <laughs> All right, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. I'm Tony Ingraldi, as you've said. I've been working in software for a very long time. I go back to the 80s, actually, in, in uh, starting my software career, and I've traveled uh, kind of a long and winding road through various technologies to get where I am. One odd detour that I think I took in at an early age, even back in the 80s, I had a kind of an affinity for computers. But in spite of that, I went went ahead and uh, became an aerospace engineer, thinking, well, gee, that would be a natural thing to do, sure. So I went went to work for NASA here at, in uh, Hampton, Virginia, at NASA Langley Research Center. Worked there for about 18 years, and midway into that career there, switched gears pretty much full-time, went into software engineering um, from aerospace engineering, still kind of attached to the aerospace world, working, you know, creating uh, sort of enterprise in-house apps for the wind tunnel testing community, that sort of thing, and working in, you know, Java, Python, that sort of thing. And then uh, somewhere along the way in there, came in contact with uh, web objects, which was my first taste of kind of Apple, really the next style of development, the, the Cocoa Framework, uh, what was what, with their rendition of Cocoa Framework for, for the web, which was just kind of eye-opening. It was a whole different way to develop and was quite enjoyable left NASA about uh, almost 10 years ago now and have kind of been hopping around doing different sorts of things at startups. And lately, for about the past year, been working as kind of a solopreneur with Majesty Software, doing uh, consulting work. I've been working a bit with role model software based in North Carolina, uh, doing some local work here for different clients and having a lot of fun working on iPhone and iPad. Cool. I've not heard solopreneur before. I like that. <laughs> I didn't invent that. I've heard it somewhere else. But I <laughs> yeah, I've heard it before. Uh, it's also Alondo's first time on the show. Do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yes, uh, thank you. I'm Alondo Brunton. I'm a mobile developer with a company called TeamSnap. We do team and organizational management, primarily in sports, although we will allow you to manage whatever type of team organization you'd like. It's based out of uh, Boulder, Colorado. I've been an iOS developer since uh, 2010. Before that, I was doing Windows development, primarily in C-sharp little bit of VB before that Delphi stuff, kind of a long history in some Pascal type languages. I've joined, uh, started doing mobile development and I've not looked back. I've tried solo development as well, do a little contract work in the past. Uh, now I'm solely focused on team work at TeamSnap and a couple of solo apps that I just have in the apps for myself. Awesome. We're glad to have you. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, the topic for today is UI table view and table views in general. And when I was introduced to Tony over email, it was Ken Auer, and he actually mentioned that you guys have done some work. You gave a talk about table views. You've done some work on your own table view library. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of give us an introduction on uh, where we're going to be going with this? Because it seems like tables are more or less pretty straightforward, generally. So. Yeah, they, they are. There's nothing uh, really mysterious in a table view. It's a very common user interface idiom that's going to be in pretty much any app, except maybe for a game. But what, I guess over time, 
I, I had just been using them kind of out of the box UI table views with the most obvious way to implement two of the key methods there that deal with, you know, what cell is should be displayed at a given row. And then what happens when you tap at a, at a given cell? And the most obvious implementation, you know, just doing what the framework kind of supplies, you end up with, for complicated table views anyway, you end up with a kind of a, a really nasty set of conditionals driving the logic in the cell provision and cell tapping methods. And, you know, for the simple case, you have a single section, single type of cell, it's really clean. But when, as soon as you get anything where you have a different type of cell coming in, or if you want different actions to happen based when the, when the cell is tapped, that's when you start getting really tangled up. And I, and the best way I could describe my history with it is I, I kind of had developed a blind spot for this. I, I generally have a, a very high, well, I still do. I have a very high appreciation for what Apple has done in their framework. So it's, it's not, there's nothing like it on other platforms where it's so, it just seems like it's so consistent over such a long period of time across a wide breadth of different capabilities. So I generally don't look at what they supply with a critical eye and say, well, gee, that's not the right way to do it. Let's do something else. So I developed this blind spot where I just would write this really nasty code and kind of hold my nose and move on. And you'd end up with, in some cases, just really, you know, just long, very long methods, which is very counter to what I would normally do. Is this kind of, it's kind of thing. If I had gone in and, de and designed it from scratch, I never would have come up with what you end up doing by default in a table view. So what, in interacting with Ken Hour, uh, at role model software, we were having a kind of an iOS team meeting one day and, and Ken would not allow Apple to, to get by with that. So, and I, you know, I showed him some of the code I had written and he, he actually jokingly asked me, did, was I able to sleep the night that I wrote it? Cause it was just so hard. <laughs> um, and I said, well, actually I probably wasn't sleeping cause I was writing it up late one night. But anyway, so we, <laughs> he, we started talking back and forth and he said, no, look, we really need to clean this up and let's just introduce the notion of a section. You know, it's, it's such an obvious thing in hindsight, but until you bring that in, you're kind of jumping a gap from a table to a cell and there's, and there's nothing in the middle that kind of contains the cells. And it really, really, there should be a section object out of the box. And I'm not sure why it's not there. I mean, if you look in, in story build and storyboards rather, um, there's a hint of a section in some of the, the, the way the UI lays out, but there's no corresponding object in the framework that you can actually put your hands on. So, so Ken had that, that really good insight and he said, Hey, let's just introduce a section object and, so I went, went uh, on my way and, and created a, there's a GitHub project called RMS Table Views that encapsulates this idea. And it takes it one step further when you, not just introducing section, but when it gets into really supporting the really hairy situations with things like settings views and, and data editing and things like that, where you typically have, you know, just a, a wide variety of cells interacting with some, you know, some controller logic and it tends to get really if you do it, like, like I said, out of the box, if you do it in the most straightforward implementation style, you're going to end up with just really, really messy code that's hard to, hard to look at, hard to maintain. And it just becomes, things just kind of fall apart, not fall apart, but they fall into place rather when you introduce the section. And, uh, you know, so if you're asking for a cell at an index path, which is kind of hints at, hey, it's a section in a row, you just naturally defer to the section and say, hey, give me either cell for this row. And, it, anyway, it just becomes a lot cleaner and it gets rid of really two of the nastiest parts about table views. And what ends up happening is all that bookkeeping kind of goes away and you're left with your really your, your, your core business logic. Uh, you, you know, what makes your app your app versus what, you know, supplying details about cells. It's hard to describe in words. It, it's much easier to see it. So I, 
in a podcast format. I'm not sure how how best to convey the real impact of it because it's hard. It's hard to, like I said, hard to describe the the before and after unless you've seen it. Unless you know, if you've done these sort of development, you know what I'm talking about. You've probably felt the pain, but you really you probably can't appreciate the full impact of just looking at it in a slightly different way without seeing it. So I'm not sure how can, we convey can that. You describe a little bit about what you mean by. A section? Yeah, a section basically is a grouping of cells. So you might have, say, on, on a settings view, you might have it, it would naturally fall into a gr- you know groups on your group table view. You'd have different sections with you know might have username, password, and then you'll have maybe a middle section with some data about a user, or uh, and then you'll have a, a maybe a section down below where you you got a you know a save button or a submit button or something like that so that, that would be a user editing view so basically it's a grouping of cells as a section so instead of having instead of jumping the gap between table view to cell because you're dealing with index paths which have two components to them you you're basically supplying an object intermediate between the table view and the cell to just naturally encapsulate or contain all of the the elements that are there is the goal is the role of the the kind of form section or the or the form. Sorry, I'm looking at the I'm looking at your GitHub's and um, uh, okay. reading through the the classes and stuff. So is the is the role of this form section to kind of encapsulate the layout logic, or does it is it I guess is it for UI, or is it to to hold kind of the logic behind? Say, let's say you have like a a login screen that has either login or sign up. So that, I guess that would be like two sections. That'd be like the login section and then the sign up for a new account section. Is right. that would that yeah. be a good kind of way of modeling it? Yeah, it's, it's, this approach is not dealing with the, you know, the pixel positioning of anything. Uh, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, uh, a UI layout thing in that sense. It's really, it's the arrangement of your cells. It's the, the higher level arrangement of your cells in the table view. Gotcha. Uh, and, uh, so you, and you, and it's still, you know, it leverages things. You can, you can design a cell. If you want to have a custom cell, you can design the whole thing in interface builder and use a custom, you know, nib based cell. If you'd like, so it's not doing. It doesn't do away with that. It's not a replacement for interface builder in that regard. It's really just to address the bookkeeping tedium that generally accompanies complicated tables. Some of this you can get with a static table in Story Builder. I mean, in story, Storyboards. My issue with Storyboards, though, I have a, well, I have a couple things. I guess I haven't fully jumped on board the Storyboard train, although that train seems to be picking up speed more and more now. So I'll probably get on board. But the couple of things that I don't like about it, just inherently, I, I don't like, it just seems wrong to have your, you know, your entire UI, or it seems to be asking to have your entire UI in one file. And I always found that kind of odd. And then you, you can break it up and do things, but you lose some of the benefit when you do that. And also one thing I found odd is if you want to have, let's say, a custom cell layout in two different table views in a storyboard, I've not seen a way to do that where you, you don't have to copy and paste, you know, the entire cell layout from one table view to another. So that seemed to be counter to just normal accepted practice of not repeating things in more than one place. And, you know, those, those might be small corner cases, and I'm sure at some point Apple will introduce something where you can solve those problems. But And then the, aside from that, the, the um, I just I just never found the benefit of specifying segues to be so overwhelming. Uh, being able to specify that in a storyboard versus just dealing with a little bit of code. I, I, I didn't see the, a real huge payoff there. So anyway, we, we went this way with what we call the form descriptor, which is a basically a P list or it could be JSON format. And one interesting, interesting thing that that opens up that you can't do with storyboards, at least not that I'm aware of. If you want, you could actually defer the final layout of your UI until runtime. You could have, say, a backend service 
vending uh, JSON description of your UI, and you might have, say, different flavors for different uh, user privilege levels, for instance, that would be one way to, to kind of vend your UI from the back end and have it dynamically rendered at, at runtime based on that description, that serialized description. Uh, so, it, you know, I, I've not personally leveraged that, but that, the opportunity is there to do that. So, you know, it did open up some ideas in that regard. And again, it, I've, I've found it to be extremely useful because I have had, had opportunity to use this this uh, framework in an app, you know, since it was created. And it was night and day, the development experience of just being able to not deal with just the tedium that you get into. And, the, and again, that, that large conditional driven structure that tends to be ugly to look at and, and maintain. And it was just, it was kind of like night and day, you just describe your interface. I want this cell here. I want this cell here, this cell here. And voila, <laughs> the magic happens. And it, it's similar to other ideas in uh, other technologies. One thing I came across years ago in the Java space, something called uh, SwixML, which is very similar in its purpose. Basically, it's an XML user interface description. There's a little bit more swingish, and well, it is, it's for swing apps, but uh, the same kind of idea. You basically serialize a bunch of code that normally you would write. If you've ever done any kind of swing development or any, any user development, uh, user interface development, we, we're laying out things in code. That code tends to be very verbose, um, very tedious, and really it's just, it's just data. It's just describing an interface. And so this is kind of the analog to that in iOS, although it doesn't deal with, you know, where pixels go on the screen. It's strictly dealing with the ordering of cells and what happens when you interact with the cell, when you tap on a cell. Can you walk us through a little bit on how you would set up, like, these sections we talked about, maybe a login and a sign-in form? How are we doing it differently now than kind of the old way? If you adopt this approach, particularly if you adopt uh, RMS table views, you would basically be describing the arrangement of your cells in a plist format. So you'd be editing a data file, essentially. And you're probably going to create some custom cells along the way. And then in a, for good measure, we threw in several kind of out-of-the-box uh, cells, things like text entry cells and uh, switch cells. So if you want to represent a Boolean value, you just use a, a switch cell. I think that's what we called it. So common things, if you want to pick from a list, you know, you have a, we have an array picker cell, so you just supply it basically an array of objects that you want to pick from. So you would basically just be describing in this data file, in this plist, uh, this hierarchical uh, arrangement of your, your sections and your cells and your code. If you use everything out of the box, uh, for instance, for a set, say a settings view, if you don't have any custom cells beyond what's supplied in the framework, you, you almost have no code. And you, and I actually, in the part of the demo I did, the CocoConf talk was we, we showed how to build, say, the, the, the Siri interface, the settings, the Siri settings interface from, you know, basically looked exactly like what's built into the, uh, the phone. And we had essentially no code. I mean, it was, it was almost an empty class in the end that, you know, cause it was, it was leveraging, you know, NS user defaults for setting, for saving data and things like that. So it was extremely brief in terms of the co- the actual objective C code because it all ended up being just describing your interface. And I imagine this is very similar to what Apple must do with setting bundles. Because basically you're just giving it data, you're saying, "Hey, this is this describes my UI, or this describes the, uh, the set of preferences I need to be surfaced." And the settings bundle, all you supply is a bundle. You don't supply UI. So I imagine behind the scenes, Apple's doing something similar. I imagine there's quite a bit of difference, but this the concept is the same. 
So we've got like a, a P list where we're saying, okay, I need a Boolean field here if we want to save the user's password. So I've got a little thing that I can put in the P list. Username, I've got like a text field thing. Right. So you've got like a bunch of canned little things that you can put in, right. drop in to make your kind of entry form. Right. And it kind of, it takes advantage of key value coding to bind the data to the, the UI element. And it's, and it's two way. So if you change the data, the, the UI would change. If you change the UI, the data would change. So it's not, I don't think it's quite as complete as bindings on OS 10, but it's a similar idea where you're not having to write a lot of extra code to do that. You just basically declare properties and, you know, key value coding uh, machinery does most of the work there. Okay. So you talked a little bit about having like a custom nib. Is there a way I can integrate a custom nib for a cell? Yes. When you, your cell subclasses can, there's a method they can override to specify what zip, you know, what nib describes their, their interface, or you can, there was an alternate constructor. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but uh, basically, yes. The, the short answer is yes, you can do that. There's provision for that. And there's some of the samples in framework itself actually do that. It sounds somewhat similar, at least in concept, to like monotouch dialogue, which was available when I first started developing, you know, three and a half years ago, where you could do something similar, where it was more of a code-driven thing. Mm-hmm. And it was started off in like the Xamarin monotouch ecosystem. I think it's been ported to Objective-C, but similar, where you just kind of define your objects in, in code. Is that an influence, or you kind of come to uh, a, a separate... I wasn't aware of that one. I know there are other toolkits out that allow you to do things like in-app settings kit, I think, is one. Uh, there are similar ideas. I didn't see any that had the pure plist or something similar to, you know, like a serialized script that basically removes a lot of that boilerplate code from the code. To, to me, that the best way to express that sort of thing is just as a serialized form, as a, as a, you know, a data file, a resource of some kind, and not put it in the actual Objective-C code. So, I, I, again, there, there's more and more CocoaPods and GitHub projects popping up all the time, so there, there may be something out there that's very similar at this point. But I didn't see anything that was quite like what I was trying to get at with this one, and that's really just getting a total separation of the description of the, the layout, of the, the ordering of the cells and the type of cells and, and the bindings from the code. I wanted to keep the code as free of that as possible, and I, I think we've gotten at a pretty good place. It's, it's still a 1.0 point and whatever. Uh, we haven't made a huge advance since the initial implementation, but uh, I think it does achieve you know, nearly all of what we were trying to do. And, and I've had, like I said, I've had opportunity to use it on a couple of projects since it was originally written. So I've tweaked it a little bit here and there to add some extra little helpers and things. Um, but it, I think fundamentally, I think it's pretty sound. And, and I think it would be useful to people if they're looking to, for a kind of an alternate way to, to deal with these things. Uh, speaking of that setup with regard to uh, binding that data to those custom cells, I was curious about using it in this format, for instance, with an edit form. And being able to have a custom cell that may actually have a few actions that are tied to buttons inside of the custom cell. Is that something that would be supported or would, would that require a little extra work on our part to sort of get these actions back out via selector or delegates or things like that? Yeah. You, if you want to have stuff in the cell beyond what would the table view would do, there's a couple different provisions in there. Uh, one is with this approach, you tend to make the cells smarter. They can actually contain some logic in there, which is a little bit unusual since you think of a cell as, well, gee, that's a, that's a UI element. Why is it doing anything beyond just presenting itself? But there's, you know, there's nothing tremendously intense going on there, but you can't, we do have cells like, I think there's a target action cell, which is pretty generic. You can, you know, bind that to anything, but that would be a single action for the tap. That wouldn't be doing things like sub cell level. I think at the sub cell level, you're going to want to have some custom logic or custom, you know, custom cell. 
uh, subclass to handle that sort of thing. Off the top of my head, I don't know if there's an obvious way to handle that other than having custom logic at the cell level. Because you need you need to get access to the to the guts there, and one of the tricky parts is you know these sorts of things. If you have a dynamic table where you're reusing cells, you, I guess you have to be a little bit extra, a little bit careful there. But the form types table views tend to be you know fixed. There's a fixed number of rows, uh, so you can you can treat the cells as long lived and not being recycled. And there's not going to be you know three thousand of them. There's going to be ten of them. You know, it'll be a long form. So you, you, I think you can, in that case, it makes sense, uh, and it's somewhat safe, so to speak, to put some smarts in the cell itself. But when you get into reuse, you know, if you're DQing cells in a, in a dynamic type situation, then it could get a little hairier, but it's probably still solvable. But I, my experience has been you tend to not have a lot of wildly different cells in a dynamic table. It was, you know, was, so for instance, you're looking at, I don't know, just a list of n widgets or names or whatever it is you tend those long you know dynamic tables tend to be the same type of cell over and over and over again although that's not a hard and fast rule and, and it's really where you have the, the most the more complicated situation in terms of cell content tends to be the smaller fixed form type things so i, I think it works uh it can work in if i'm understanding what you're describing i think it can work in that case if you if you put enough smarts in the cell itself yeah, I, I, I think, I think so. I think you're right. I think it's just a matter of we, the situation that we're, dis, we're having with the edit cell is very custom and it's an edge case, but I agree that for the most part, this sounds like something that we could, um, and we've, my colleagues had gone to the CocoConf and brought back some of the ideas, although we're not using RMS table views exclusively or specifically. I definitely think it's something we should reconsider. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, if you can use it, great. If it, just the concept of introducing the section was really kind of the, the linchpin for the thing and, and, uh, and everything else just kind of followed as a, as a consequence of that. So, so what other features does this have? We talked about ability to add sections, easily add, you know, bool's text fields. Is there any way that I can add kind of validation? Let's say I want to email address. I want to verify that. Is there a hook I can put in there? Is that supported? There's nothing specific for validation. Uh, that would be a, a, probably a really good extension to it to add some kind of standard mechanism for validation. You know, maybe just implement some, use some naming convention for methods, uh, like validate X or whatever. Kind of like, I think Core Data does some of that, if I'm not mistaken. So something analogous to that would be helpful. We don't have anything built in there at, right now for that. So it would be, it would be an extension, either a generalized extension that would be, you know, applicable to a large class of things or you should, obviously when you're, if you adopt this framework, you could just implement whatever you need to on top of that. But there's no, there's no generic support in there for that at the, at the moment. As it stands today, if I wanted to implement something like that, what would be the, where would I put that code? Would I need to put it in, in my regular view controller or is there some way I could subclass one of the, the framework, well, the library classes or what would I do there? I think the view controller could be a good spot for that. It might be good to have a maybe a model layer inserted in there uh, with some generic, maybe a generic model class that provided a, a validation API. I'd have to think about that some more uh, before I could say for sure. It seems like a model layer would be sensible, kind of a, like I said, it's like a generic model base or maybe a category, so it could be used on different base classes because a lot of apps have already have a model in place. So yeah, sure. yeah so maybe implementing a protocol. And it, uh, following some naming convention, you know, kind of like, you know, validate property name kind of thing. And yeah, somewhere between a, a protocol and a, probably applied to the model layer would be where that makes sense. 
I'm not sure I totally, and I, I, I very much sympathize with trying to explain this over a podcast because it's, <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing where you want to leap up to a whiteboard or a right. crack open Xcode or something. So what are the hooks for me to, to kind of interact between, so, so let's say that the login example again, as a user, I filled in my username and password and then I, I tap, you know, the login button. Where do I put the logic that is going to eventually go and make a network call and then update the UI to say, you know, invalid password or something like that? Uh, well, the intermediate logic, you know, that, that's dealing with the action, say, when you tap on the login, login button, that, that would be in the view, in the table view controller. I would separate the actual logic that goes out to the network into sure. probably a separate network client of some sort. But yeah, the kind of the glue in between, there would be, we'd probably you know, have a target action cell, and your action button would be something like login action, and then it would take the user input and do what it needs to do and send it to the client, and then you you know get the result back and surface an alert or whatever, you know, log, you move to the next view if it logs in successfully, whatever you need to do there. But the, the target, the action, the initial action would most likely be on the UI table view controller subclass. That's gotcha. tied to that view. Yeah. Gotcha. And so that, that target action is the kind of the mechanism for bridging from like this kind of declarative, like I've set up the UI to handling, to actually doing stuff based on interactions. Right. And you would, you would declare, you know, your target could be the view controller, it could be something else. But in a lot, many cases, it's just going to be the view controller itself. And so gotcha. your target would be self and, and, and then the action, you, for the action in the, in the descriptor, you just give it the string form, the name of the, the selector, basically. And then the underlying logic would actually turn that into a, a real selector and, and invoke it. You know, it's pretty wide open what you can do there. It's just a target action type concept that's similar to what you see in interface builder. So, so you, you know, you could do anything you really, you need to there based on a tap. What you don't have to deal with is which row was tapped, what should I do now, Yeah. should I deselect the row, that kind of thing. That's just kind of all handled, and you just basically implement what you need to implement, which is the login itself. Neat. Yeah, we need like a holographic podcast that we can <laughs> so we can show this stuff. Yeah, of course, the beauty of the podcast is you can plug in your headphones and drive down the road. So That's true. And I'm, I'm a big fan of podcasts. It's just some things are just hard to convey. Yes. Yeah. We just need self-driving cars. <laughs> or somebody that does uh, screencasts on right. iOS. Hmm. <laughs> Who do we know? So, are there any other aspects of this that we haven't touched on? Well, we spent a lot of time on the on the form aspect, and it, it also handles kind of the simpler case where you're just dealing with just different sections in a table view, and it could be the uh, say something like your contacts. If you look in the contacts app, it's different sections. With everything's uh, by you know sort of by uh, first letter of last name, for instance, and you you can also deal with that case. It's it's not just for you know the the form style user interface. It's really it can, it can be deal anytime you're faced with you you have more than one section in your table view, then it, it comes in handy because then you basically you literally create a section for each of those sections a section object versus just dealing with the index path you know section and row, and it just it cleans up the bookkeeping to the point where you don't even think about it. So even in those simple cases, it's handy because it keeps the code cleaner and your sections are your sections and you're, you don't have to mix, kind of make that leap that there's like a, an air gap, so to speak, between the table view controller and all the way down to the cell when there's this notion of section in between. It's just not, it never explicitly made it into uh, an object level thing in, in the, the built-in framework. So so yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not just for 
the form controllers. If it's for any any time you have more than the simplest case, and the simplest case being you have one section and one type of cell, because in that case there's there's never any hairy logic involved there. But as soon as you introduce, hey, I've got two sections or more than one, and it may not be extreme when you just have a couple and you have just two uh, branch conditional, uh, but you're on your way to to some pain if you continue down that logic down that path. And it just gets rid of it. It's just it's just a simple notion of introducing a section object. And instead of the table view trying to do, you know, if else, if else, if else, it just says, hey, uh, section, at section, I have a, a list of sections or an array of sections, and I just want to ask section X for its cell at X. And it's really fundamentally very simple, but it's pretty profound in the impact it can have on the cleanliness of your code and the maintainability and just uh, keeping it nice for people that have to come behind you and, and maintain it. So well, It's neat that it works for dynamic stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, either case. And that's actually the case that Ken was primarily concerned with. I, when we were talking about this problem, I immediately jumped to the form because that's, I recently had done kind of the mother of all horrible conditional <laughs> driven form views. And it's like, wow, yeah, I could really clean that up. So I went ahead and, and attacked that and kind of in retrospect or backed out a little bit of that, refactored it to handle the simple case. It was somewhat of an afterthought, but I think it's factored pretty well to, to do that cleanly as well. Yeah, I've got to say, I've always felt like I'm doing it wrong when I'm building table views because there's so much like low-level bookkeeping, and I've always suspected like that I just there's something I'm doing, like I'm just doing things the wrong way. But maybe it's just that I should have been using this thing before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what's happened is is if you look at all the like the samples and and just the way the the way the framework is, you know, the iOS frameworks are built for UI table view control, the way those the data source and the delicate protocols are written, really the kind of the, the most natural thing to do is to fall into that that pattern where you have that single entry point, self row at index path. And if you never leave that, all your logic is in self row at index path, the, the, the odds are you're going to have very clumsy and, and messy, you know, just this big conditional structure in some form or another. Uh, and then some people can work, I've seen it worked around where you, they, maybe they build a, a dictionary ahead of time with uh, index paths as the keys and some other, maybe a method as a, as a, the value, a section of that method name. And it's kind of, that's one way to clean it up, but it's not, that doesn't get you as clean as it can be. So really, again, just, just this notion of section, just introduce that and voila, you know, the, the, <laughs> the fog clears and, and it becomes really clean. Um, yeah. It's very easy to have, have like a 300 line self or index, you know, self or road index path, you know, Right. You, I've also I've also seen people do things like you know subclassing different cell components that create the different type of cells. If you have a complex thing, that's another sure. way to keep it in check a little bit. But I definitely like the declarative throw it in a p list, especially the simple things that are just boilerplate code code anyway. Right. I think the thing that always irks me about the table view thing is not just that switch statement or if statement or whatever. It, it's that you have it twice, right? So if you have like for building the cells and then for responding to exactly. someone tapping on the cells. Right. Yeah, those are the, generally the two points that are going to be the trouble areas. You know, did select cell or whatever it is uh, for index path and cell for index path. And they're tied together. So you end up having similar conditional structures in both. Yeah. Well, not identical. Generally speaking, they wouldn't be identical. But but yeah, it's this just removes that. You don't you don't have that just goes away completely. To the point where you don't even implement those methods. For instance, if you op- adopt RMS form view controller, you don't even see those methods in your in your implementation. They're just not there. You're implementing the action methods and 
well, really, that's it. It's just the, you're really down to the what does your app do and almost nothing else. So when are you going to port all of this to Swift? <laughs> uh, Swift is definitely on my list of, of things to, to jump into. I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't had, haven't had enough cycles to, to go there. And I imagine it'll be a slow migration yeah. to Swift as, as new I, things are added. Uh, I think the best things that we're going to see in the short term with Swift is people writing nice like little DSLs on top of uh, top of existing kind of open source tools so just like a for, for this thing for example I can imagine someone building something so that you can configure the you know the, the sections and the things inside the sections using using code rather than using you know a plist or a JSON file and because Swift has those nice syntax for anonymous uh, for closures and stuff like that I, I, I think there's gonna be a lot of little internal DSLs that help you build things like table views. Right. And on that note, I guess I've neglected, you can actually, you can, if you choose, describe the interface in code and using, you know, dictionary literals or however you want to construct your description there. But uh, so it does, it does, it does allow for that. My natural tendency is to, to go for the, the serialized version just to keep it out of the code. But you, you do have that option. You can generate it. You can actually generate your form interface dynamically if you choose to. <laughs> so it's kind of, uh, it's like a long way around, but uh, you can do that. You have that flexibility because it's it, uh, it, all, it all boils down to uh, it's constructing a dictionary or you know a higher. Uh, it's instantiating all this plist, all the plist objects into you know dictionaries and, li- and arrays in the end. So that and that's what gets fed to you know the main constructor. So you can you, yeah you can describe it in code if you choose to. Uh, I, I do think you're right in the implementation of the section because that's one place where we've already gained a huge benefit setting that up. And we are using dictionary literals right now, but that may change in the mm-hmm. future. But just not having to look at those lines and lines of code right now in the view controllers has been really, really helpful. And it's made a lot, not just easier for us to focus on what's being, what we should be doing in that particular view controller, but debugging as well. Just having right. to jump through tons and tons of code. Is there an opportunity is if, if there was a fork, for instance, if someone were to add some additional table cells or custom to fork that or submit a pull request to that? Is that an active, are you actively been reviewing the uh, repo? We haven't had any pull requests yet, but they're welcome. It'd be great if we can get more contributors. And, and one thing I've been kind of not as, as complete as I'd like to be is in the documentation area. Because even when I, when I went back and used this thing myself a couple months after I'd written it, I kept going, having to go back to the code and see <laughs> how does it actually work? So that's not a good sign. So yeah, I, pull requests are welcome for enhancements and uh, in, in code or documentation. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, fork, fork and pull. All right. Anything else before we get to the picks? Unless you, if you guys don't have any itching questions, I, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't think to add. I think we've covered it pretty broadly there. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks then. James, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. As some of you are aware, there's a rather large soccer tournament on right about now. And even when this actually airs in a week or so, there will still be a large soccer tournament on. But if you're in the United States like I am and you don't have cable TV, you're kind of out of luck. You're either going to a bar or you're calling your friends with cable and inviting yourself over. That's kind of lame because ABC and ESPN have English language rights to all the broadcasts and they're not giving it away for free. So it goes. But they do not have the access rights for the Spanish broadcast. So you can download the Univision Deportes app and watch, I think, most of the games. That's in Spanish, which makes it more awesome. 
because you know you're just kicking a ball around. What? How much do you actually need to know about the game? <laughs> and, and you get the goal, which is the highlight of the whole game for me. So if you're in the U.S., don't have cable. Uh, Univision Deportes. That's my pick for today. All right, Pete. What are your picks? I always just want a plus one, uh, Jane. Yeah, there's lots of people who've been watching Univision around. A lot more people watching Univision around where I live than normal. I've got some some interesting picks today. So uh, it's Pride Week in San Francisco this week, and so I'm going to pick Alan Turing. Alan Turing is uh, like obviously, well, hopefully, obviously, to people, very very famous computer science guy. He helped kind of shorten World War Two by quite a substantial period of time, saving lots and lots and lots of people's lives by kind of breaking the Enigma code. He also invented like the idea of the Turing test, which I think recently was, was uh, allegedly kind of passed, but I'm not sure if that's true. He also like really incredibly smart computer science guy who also happened to be gay and was persecuted for that by uh, the British government and killed himself because of that, which is really sad. So I don't know, I just like to pick him. It's kind of a bit trivial to pick someone uh, so important, but I'm going to pick him anyway. Um, on uh, a lighter note, I'm going to do an anti-pick for Twitter Bootstrap. I see lots of people <laughs> using Bootstrap. You can actually use it the right way, but not that many people do, and they don't really tell people how to use it the right way. If you're tempted to use Twitter Bootstrap, just don't and look at some alternatives. A really good alternative is uh, Bourbon and Neat from Fortbot. So look at that first before using uh, Twitter Bootstrap. And my last pick is a beer pick. Uh, I'm going to pick a limited release from Loganitas, which is called Nighttime. Normally, I like to pick the session beers. Uh, Loganitas have a beer called Daytime, which is a session beer. Nighttime is not a session beer. Nighttime is 8.2% alcohol. And it's really yummy. It's like a very dark kind of coffee and toffee kind of beer, but it's still got the kind of the grapefruit growing on because it's Loganitas. It's very good. If you can get it where you live, then I recommend uh, trying it out. That's my picks. All right. Alondo, what are your picks? I have two. The first one is the, uh, an app called Moves. It's the Moves app, movesapp.com. You can find it in the app store. I'm not aware of Fitbits or any other type of fitness uh, wearable, uh, but I was curious to know how much I was moving or not moving while I'm working or during the week. And I've discovered that I really do need to, to get mobile. And the Moves app has helped out a lot because it just allows me to trace the steps that I've had and also where I've been. So, one of the nice things I've done is just sort of taken a daily walk around the neighborhood to track my steps, increase the amount of fitness, I guess, at some level. So it's a great app. I know there are lots of other apps that track, but this one is free and it's, it's really, it's a really neat app and it's, it's quite helpful. Uh, my second pick is probably the antithesis to that. And it is a beer. It is the Duck Rabbit Milk Stout from the Duck Rabbit Brewery here in North Carolina, support local breweries. It's a great, great beer. You could probably find it in a few places. I've been traveling a, a good bit and found it in local brew shops. So um, it's a delicious stout if you like stouts. Those are my picks. Awesome. So I hadn't even thought about picks because my life's been so crazy lately. So I'm going to pass, and let's hear Tony's picks. All right. I actually have uh, a bunch because I, I was afraid I wouldn't have any, so then I probably went and got too many. But on, on the tech front, I've got one that's uh, kind of an old and trusted friend. It's called it's an app called Text Wrangler, which has its roots back in the BB Edit product line. It goes back two decades at least, I think. So I, and I just find myself using it quite a bit, just for the here and there, just editing quick edits. And I don't want to fire up Xcode. I, I my go to editor is Text Wrangler, and I recommend it. 
Then on the entertainment front, although it's, it's, I hesitate to call it entertainment because it's, it's entertainment with a purpose. I'm a big fan of the Kendrick brothers and their films. And, uh, some of the more, more well-known ones are things like Facing the Giants, Fireproof, and Courageous. And, uh, little films that'll make you think and, uh, challenge you in what you believe. And I'm a big fan. And as far as, uh, podcasts, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey and his Financial Peace, uh, University. And he's got the Dave Ramsey Show podcast and also kind of go hand in hand with that entree leadership from his, his crew also. And on the solopreneur front, Dan Miller is a good podcast. It's 48 days. And, uh, those, those are all pretty well known podcasts. And those are, I find myself listening to them quite often and, uh, just find a lot of encouragement and ideas and all of that stuff. Yeah. You picked some of my favorites too. We actually had Dan Miller on the Freelancer Show, so you did. Oh wow! Uh, still working on Dave Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrific shows. Good picks. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, wind down the podcast. Thanks for coming again, Tony. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Uh, we'll uh, we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.